Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Yeah, good. You're enjoying the summer thus far, I hope? Good. I was away for holidays for a little over a week and just got back yesterday, but delighted to be here. It's always a treat to come in, and I had not been in this room for a while due to other speaking engagements and other things and stuff, and it's so blue. Yeah, I like it, but anyways. Uh, as some of you know, uh, my watch alarm goes off every single morning at 10.02. That regardless of what I'm doing, often I pray in my head, but I will pray at 10.02, Luke 10.02. Get it? Luke chapter 10, verse 2, 10.02. Do you kind of get it? Okay. So I've been doing this for four years now, since October 2015. And yes, I can set my alarm, so don't worry, I'm purposefully doing this. But Luke 10.02 writes this. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. The verse is in the context of Jesus sending out his disciples, 72 of them, two by two, into the neighboring villages and towns in order to preach the good news. And it is in the context of praying this prayer that we have sent out at least 72, more so double that amount as we have sent three groups of people, including three church planters, in order to go out into the harvest field and to plant at Tap Marple, Tap Monday Park, and Tap Nights. And I think some of the elders here at the church want me to stop praying this prayer because we need to slow down before we plant church number five next year. But I'm, anyways, I'll, more to come later. Uh, so anyways, the harvest is plentiful, yes? We know this. And, you know, it doesn't take much. You know that you read it in the news. You've heard the statistics. But church attendance in Canada and in North America, in the Western world, is rapidly declining. In fact, in some uh, denominations like the Anglican United Church and Presbyterian denominations, they have declined at least half, 50% in the last few decades. And not only are the statistics alarming, but I think we all have friends and colleagues and family members that still do not yet have experienced the joy of being a follower of Jesus. And so we have this fantastic opportunity, don't we, to introduce and share with others the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. But I know it's kind of scary and it's kind of hard. How do we begin to talk about Jesus in a way that doesn't seem kind of weird or cheesy or even preachy? Like, where do we even begin? And I can totally empathize. Like, just sitting down, talking to a friend about Jesus, it's a little awkward, isn't it? So what do we do? Well, one of the ways in which we can enter into these divine conversations, and there are a number of different ways, but one of these ways is to tap into certain programs or events or methods in which have been successful for others. And one of the ones that we have been doing as a church together is something called the Alpha Course. And that's something you've probably heard over and over again as we've, in the last few weeks, trying to get volunteers for Alpha. So what exactly is Alpha? Well, Alpha is a course that explores the basics of Christian faith. It is designed for people without a church background or people who would not label themselves as Christians. And typically, it runs for about 11 weeks, and each session takes a look at a different question about the faith. And the talks are designed to create conversation around smaller groups. It's totally free, it runs all over the globe, and everyone is welcome. It was started way back in 1977 by a guy named Charles Marnham. He belonged to the Holy uh, Trinity Brompton, which is a parish in uh, London, England. And over time, it has grown and grown and grown. 
The Alpha course now is currently running in over 100 countries and 100 different languages, and supposedly there have been like 24, 25 million people that have gone through the Alpha course. How many of you have done it here? Right, a fair number of you. Okay, all that being said is, it's being run in homes and in prisons, which is really cool that it's being run in like almost all the prisons in the UK, universities, and of course in churches. And we here at the TAP, we're going to be running it twice, once here at TAP Richmond and the other time at TAP Mundy Park. So what can you expect if you join the Alpha course? Well, every Alpha is different, but there are three fundamental things that every Alpha course does. Number one, food, where it rightfully should begin. Two, some kind of teaching. And three, conversation, dialogue, and questions. So just imagine after today you feel inspired, you're going, you've been praying, you've been thinking, the Holy Spirit has led you, and you're going to invite your friend Jimmy to come to the Alpha class. And he's had some experience in Sunday school and so forth, but you think he's ready to delve into it some more. And not only that, because you're a Christian, you're not allowed to come, but because you're bringing a friend, you can. And so you commit yourself that you're going to come every week, you're going to bring your friend, you're going to eat the free food, it's all going to be fantastic. And you're going to support him by answering his questions throughout the week. So you and Jimmy walk in on Tuesday nights, starting September 17th at 6.30, and you walk in, and the church is looking quite nice. We have people in the church that do this decoration thing. It's always very pretty. And then you come in, and depending where we meet, um, we uh, will, depending how many people sign up, we'll either be in the foyer or here in the sanctuary. And the first thing we're going to do, of course, is the food. We always start off with a meal because it's a great way to, you know, make people at ease and also get to know people. And as you can guess, the food here is always good. Then we enter into a time of talk or video because a half an hour after the meal, we usually play the 20-minute video that comes with a certain topic of the Christian faith that kind of um, brings up a lot of conversation topics. And it's after the video that we gather in small groups that we can gather our thoughts and ask questions, and there's no such thing as a stupid question, right? So this morning, as we're in Alpha Sunday and talking about it, we're actually going to watch the first video of the course, all right? Uh, this will give you a flavor of what you could be uh, wanting to sign up for, but also what you can invite your friend to. That's number one. But the second thing is, I think it's an appropriate and um, actually quite a thoughtful video that I think we can all uh, enjoy, all right? So the video is entitled, Is There More to Life Than This? Is there more to life than this? Yes. Oh, really? Okay, well, here's, here's the video. Hi, I'm Nikki. Welcome to Alpha. Life is busy. Every day we ask so many questions. What should I wear? What's the weather going to be like? What's happening today? How am I going to fit everything in? But then there are those bigger questions. Like, why am I here? Where am I heading? Is this it? Is there more to life than this? These are life's big questions, but there's rarely enough time to think them through properly. We all have different perspectives on the meaning of life and faith, 
and Alpha is an opportunity to explore life's big questions. This is a great place to come together and talk about them openly and honestly. I'm Gemma. I'm Toby. And this is Alpha. Um, I go on Google. Google. I definitely Google. I go on Wikipedia. Internet. I uh, scroll through all the different answers and then I try and combine it and then make my own kind of like cornerstone. Or smart friends. I don't ask big life questions. It's too hard to answer. Google or my grandmother. I meditate or I read. When I have a big life questions, I probably go to my family. I haven't really had any mess of what they say. My mom or my dad, basically. My mom or my dad, maybe my grand. I get most of my answers from the library in any section there, because I don't really trust the people that I'm around. The key is always to yourself. you got to figure some things out for yourself. If I'm confused, I go to him first. And he confuses me more. But when it's something more personal, I try to find it within myself first. Friends of mine told me that the first night they came to Alpha, they sat in their car for half an hour waiting and watching people going in. And eventually when they'd seen enough normal looking people going in, they thought they'd give it a try. And one thing that might be going through your mind is, am I going to be the only one there who doesn't believe all this stuff, who's not a Christian, that doesn't go to church? Well, if that's you, then you're in the right place. Alpha is designed for people who wouldn't call themselves Christians or who are not regular churchgoers. It might feel a bit strange to be discussing life and faith with people that you've never met before, but the best thing about Alpha is often the great friendships that are formed over the weeks. For much of my life, I was not remotely interested in Christianity. In fact, I don't think I'd ever come to something like Alpha. I was not brought up as a Christian. My father was a secular Jew. He was an agnostic, and my mother didn't go to church, uh, and I had no interest at all in Christianity. First of all, I just thought it was so boring. Everything to me about church, Christianity, religion was just dull and dreary. And it kind of made me feel a little bit guilty. I didn't know why, but I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I also thought it was untrue. I, I thought I'd sort of thought it through and uh, I'd come up with these intellectual objections and I called myself, very pretentiously, I called myself a logical determinist. And I quite enjoyed arguing with people who called themselves Christians. And at university, I had a bit of a reputation for being an argumentative atheist. And I also thought it was irrelevant to my life. I couldn't see how someone who'd lived 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, could have any relevance to my life today. It just seemed outdated and irrelevant. But at the same time, looking back now, I would say something was missing. I say that because I don't think I was living in the moment. I was always looking forward to the next thing in life. So when I was at school, I was thinking, when I finish my exams, maybe that will be when I'm going to really start to enjoy life. I finished my exams, and then after about three weeks, I started to think, there's got to be more to life than this. And I thought, well, maybe when I've left school, that will be what life's all about. And then I left school, and after about three weeks, I started to think, there's got to be more to life than this. I thought, well, maybe the answer is to get a girlfriend. And somehow, I don't know how I managed it, but I managed to find a girlfriend. Again, after about three weeks, I started to think, there's got to be more to life than this. And, and basically, there was something missing. I was longing for more. The actor Jim Carrey once said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they've ever dreamed of. 
so they would know that's not the answer. Some people dream of having their name in lights, of fame and fortune. Some people dream of finding happiness through relationships, careers, money, whatever it may be. But do you ever get that niggly feeling that as good as those things are, there must be more to life? Yeah, all too often life just doesn't turn out the way we think it should. And even when it does and we achieve our wildest dreams, it's somehow never quite enough. It just doesn't satisfy. It's like there's something missing. The comedian and actor Russell Brand said, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up a hole inside me. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In other words, I'm the one who fulfills the longing that's deep inside every human heart. Jesus claimed to be the one person who can satisfy that spiritual hunger. Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of the rock group Queen, had amassed a huge fortune and attracted millions of fans. But he admitted in an interview shortly before his death that he was desperately lonely. He said this, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that's the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ultimately, there's only one relationship that is totally loving and goes on forever, and that's a relationship with God. And Jesus said, I am the way to that relationship. Maybe money. What makes me happy? Music. Music, ice cream, and cheese. Sleep makes me happy. No, going to the gym, seeing my friends, going to the pub, playing football. Dogs. Alcohol. Uh, women. Pretty much. The idea of life in general makes me happy. Clothes. Uh, women. What's the last in this? That's a really good question. I don't know, I can't tell you. I think we're supposed to learn a couple of things. There's nothing more. I'm still figuring that out, to be honest. Uh, no. It's live in the moment. Absolutely, I strongly believe that there's more to life than this. No idea, sorry. <laughs> when I was about 17, I was sitting having a burger with two friends, and we were looking out the window and commenting on a few of the stores across the street, and I suddenly realized that I couldn't read any of the signs, even if I squinted. So I asked if I could borrow one of my friend's pair of glasses, and as soon as I put them on, I realized I could see everything, like colors, shapes, words. I was amazed at how everything was so clear. And I could see before, but now I could really see. And to me, that's the best way to describe the difference that Jesus makes. Jesus is the lens through which we see God. And he's also the lens by which we see the world in a totally different way. Jesus said, I am the truth. Some people's response to a Christian might be, well, it's great for you, you found meaning and purpose in your life, but it's not for me. But when you think about it, that's not actually a logical position, because if Christianity is true, it's of vital importance to every one of us. And if it's not true, it's not great for us, because it means we're deluded. C.S. Lewis was one of the great intellectual giants of the 20th century, probably best known as the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. He said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. I come from a family of lawyers, so naturally I wanted to look at the original documents and sources. 
I never really looked at the evidence before and I was astonished at how much evidence there is for the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. For me it was through reading these documents that we find in the New Testament that I came to the conclusion it's true. One of the last cases I did as a lawyer was in the Court of Appeal in front of Lord Denning, an absolutely brilliant mind, perhaps the greatest judge of the 20th century. He said on one occasion that his Bible was his most tattered book in his library. He'd examined the evidence really carefully and he came to the conclusion, it's true. One former professor of history at Oxford University described the resurrection as the best attested fact in history. I hadn't realized how many of the pioneers of modern science were believers. Descartes, Newton, Kepler, Galileo, Locke, Copernicus, Faraday, Kelvin, Pasteur. Francis Collins, one of the greatest scientists of our time, was director of the Human Genome Project, mapping the three billion letters in the human DNA, considered by many to be the most significant scientific undertaking of our time. He describes how he encountered Jesus and came to believe in the truth of Christianity. Well, in the home where I grew up, uh, faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, my father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, when I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. But then I ended up in the medical school curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother, uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, she had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it, and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that faith, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically and she said, what do you believe, doctor? And ultimately I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity, because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis and that, in fact, 
given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning and its fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible. Uh, and many other things, including my beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe, something that makes you think the Creator must have been a mathematician. That brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ as a person who was historically extremely well documented. That was news to me. I thought Christ was as much myth as history and I realized after reading more about it, this was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me, a journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin, but I felt I needed to, a journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my surprise, resulted in my conversion. There's a difference between knowing facts about someone and really knowing them personally. Now, I've known my husband, Phil, for three years now, but suppose if before we met, I found him on a website called The Amazing Man. Now, there's no doubt I would have looked at him and thought, okay, I'm intrigued. But what if each page was dedicated to his amazing abilities, his sparkling personality, his tender heart, his extraordinary intelligence, and his cooking abilities? Well, I would think, wow, he does sound like an amazing person. But that's head knowledge. But I also have the privilege of being married to him and I know that he's an amazing person, which is knowledge that comes from experience of relationship, and that's heart knowledge. When Jesus said, I am the truth, he was talking about more than just a kind of intellectual truth. The Hebrew understanding of truth was truth as experienced. And there's a big difference between a kind of intellectual knowledge and a personal knowledge, between your head and your heart. So when someone says, I know Jesus is the truth, they're not just talking about being convinced of the evidence, they're also talking about experiencing a relationship with the risen Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and lastly he said, I am the life. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to deal with the things in our lives that stop us from enjoying life to the full, the things that spoil our lives. I hate shopping, I loathe it. I think I'm allergic to shopping. But occasionally my wife Pippa persuades me to go shopping and just after Christmas uh, it was the sales and she persuaded me to go shopping. And We went into the shop and we bought this very nice new sweater, uh, the same colour as all my other sweaters. And um, we left the shop and we went to buy a present for her. And we went into this ghastly shop, it was so crowded, it was unbelievable. And even Pippa had had enough and she said, okay, we're leaving. So we went to leave. And as we left, the security alarm went off. And the security guys moved in very quickly. And they stopped us all from leaving. And like the crowd that was trying to leave was stopped. And the crowd that was trying to come in was stopped. And we were there right in the middle. Uh, the six of us who were going through the security at that one time were all taken off and sectioned off from all the rest. And they wanted to see which one of the six of us had set off the alarm. So they sent one of them through, and that was fine. They obviously hadn't set it off. Then they sent the next one through. They obviously hadn't set it off. Then the third. Then the fourth. None of them set it off. So it was left with Pippa and I were standing there, 
And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm married to a shoplifter. It must be Pippa who's got set off the alarm. So they sent her through and she didn't set it off. So I thought, oh my goodness, I've obviously got something. Someone must have planted something on me. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be sent to prison. All the crowd were watching, both sides. They were just watching this criminal who'd been caught going through. So they went through and as I went through, the alarm went off. They took me to the side. They opened up my rucksack on my back and there they found this sweater from the other shop with the tags still on it. I felt so guilty. That was like false guilt. I also sometimes experience true feelings of guilt because I do things that are not right, that are not good. And this is the wonderful news that God loves you and he loves me. God came in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and for me. And on the cross, he took all of your guilt, all of my guilt, everything you've ever done wrong, everything I've ever done wrong, said wrong, thought wrong, and he died in our place in order that we could be forgiven. And forgiveness, C.S. Lewis said, it's like a recording of our life wiped completely clean. And when we receive that forgiveness, we find life and life in all its fullness. And that's what Jesus wants for you and for me. Life in all its fullness. Life at its very, very best. I think for so many years, you know, I always just strived to be strong in myself. And it was as if that all I needed was me and my buddies and, you know, would be like invincible. But the truth is, none of us are. And I don't want to do this thing called life. I don't want to do it on my own. And it kind of feels like my longing for this, this light inside is now stronger than my fear of what others might think. And people often ask, well, doesn't that make uh, faith like a crutch? And, you know, well, maybe, but, you know, what does a crutch do? Uh, a crutch helps you stand and it makes you stronger. And in that case, you know, sure, I need a bit of that. But especially when it's so much more than that, when this faith inside is also, also like a backbone, uh, helping me stand tall and helping me be strong when I'm really up against it, facing those odds, whether it's on a mountain or stuck in some jungle or just dealing with the storms, you know, with the storms of life. Uh, sure, I need it, I, you know, I, I need that. Uh, but at heart, my Christian faith says that I am, that I'm known, that I'm known to Christ. Uh, bought at a price, uh, blessed with light. Uh, faith says that we're loved, regardless of our mess, uh, regardless of how many times we fall down, and that Jesus somehow picks me up. And sure, you know, I'll reach out to that. Why, why wouldn't I? I used to think Christianity was boring, untrue, and irrelevant. But when I read about Jesus, I realized he was anything but. Jesus said he's the way to God. He's the one who brings meaning and purpose to your life. He said he's the truth. He said he's the life, that true fulfillment is found in a relationship with God through him. Alpha is a place where you can be yourself. You can say what you think and challenge everything. Now, no question is too complex or too simple. And what your point of view is, is as important as anyone else's. And over the weeks ahead, we are going on a journey together, an adventure to explore the questions of life, faith, and meaning. Think of it this way. 
If you live to be 70, you're going to spend 20 years and three months asleep, 10 years and five months watching TV, five years and nine months in some form of transportation, seven years and six months eating and drinking. You have approximately 570,000 hours left to live. So why not spend less than 24 of them asking life's biggest questions? Welcome to Alpha. good yeah anything with Bear Gorillas and Francis Collins in the same video you know it's gonna be good uh, so what I want you to do now is gather into groups of three or four no more than four and this is your first question question number one Nicky Gumbel began the video by sharing his own early personal impression or misconception of Christianity what if any has been your experience of Christianity has it been boring untrue or feeling like it's irrelevant. Okay, talk amongst yourselves. You have a minute. Okay, everyone, sorry, I'm gonna have to stop you. So that's just one question, you only get a minute, but can you imagine at Alpha, you can take as long as you want. All right, second question. In the video, Toby said that Jesus is the lens through which we see God, and also the lens in which we see the world in a totally different way. Do you think that's true? Okay, talk. Okay, last question. 
See, I'm sorry, we just got to roll by this. C.S. Lewis, oh, by the way, uh, two things. Uh, C.S. Lewis was quoted from Mere Christianity. If you have not read it, it's a classic. You should go buy it. It looks good on the bookshelf, and it looks better uh, having read it. All right? So that's one. And the person who quoted C.S. Lewis was Francis Collins, uh, and he actually talks about his kind of evidence as a scientist and how he came to faith. So for those with a scientific background, excellent read as well. Okay. So C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And truth can be defined two different ways, understood intellectually, so that's your head knowledge, and truth can be experienced as a relationship or heart knowledge. So how do you discern what is true in your life? I consider myself a 60-40 guy. I'm 40% intellectual and rational. It's just got to make sense, and it has to be congruent to uh, kind of intuition, heart knowledge, and relationship. That's how I operate. And it is in that same way that I can discern and understand, yeah, Christianity is true, the biblical texts, the history, all that stuff, rational, 40%, but my experience fills in the other 60%. So what about you? And if that is true, is Jesus true in your life? Okay, talk amongst yourselves. Okay, friends, sorry, I'm going to have to cut it off, but you get a glimpse. This is just a glimpse of what could be experienced at Alpha and what has raised a lot of conversation and a step in someone's faith. This past Alpha, um, great story, a friend invited a friend to come, and this friend came every single week and eventually learned more, it took the baptism class, and then got baptized this past time. So it's fantastic stuff that happens, right. So uh, speaking of which, one person here that went through uh, Alpha uh, a couple years ago and has volunteered for me to grill him with questions, uh, Derek McLaughlin, why don't you come up and I'm going to ask you a few questions. Let's give Derek a hand. All right, so Derek, who invited you to Alpha? I actually invited myself, uh, I, like yourselves. I'd, I'd been going here uh, to church for a while, and I watched the introductory video, and I thought, wow, that looks so cool. I'm going to go. So that was pretty much it. That's awesome. So you did, I guess. Okay, yeah. that's great. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you're all invited, by the way. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, if, if something resonated with you in this video, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, and you're learning more about what all of this is about, 
uh, I encourage you to sign up. Um, yeah, for sure. So when you came to the first Alpha, were you a bit nervous or reluctant? Did you sit in your car for half an hour or anything like that? <laughs> no, actually, I w wasn't nervous at all. And, and it's, it's totally because I underestimated Alpha. Um, when I, I looked at the video, I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention. But to me, my understanding is that it was a very, very low barrier commitment. Um, I, I didn't even know it was more than one session. I, it looked like it was going to be sort of like go to Starbucks, sit down at the table, have a chat, and then leave. So had I known that it was going to go on for you know, an extended period of time, I might have, I might have been reluctant. But luckily, I, I kind of was oblivious to it. So, oh, OK. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so yeah. You didn't really no. help me there with your answer. <laughs> so I'm just going to say, yeah. it's only one session. <laughs> i got to be honest. OK, no, no, that's awesome. So but what surprised you? Uh, you know, you kept on coming. Yeah. Like, what surprised you yeah. about Alf? Um, I was really surprised by Nikki, uh, Nikki Gumbel. I, my, my training is as a lawyer, and so is his. And so to watch the first video, to, to listen to someone who is, in essence, driving Alpha throughout the world, saying, you know, before I was prepared, to basically validate the idea of questioning Christianity uh, before you jump into it. And to me, that seemed almost heretical. And I thought, this is awesome. So th th that's really what surprised me, yeah. was the, the freedom that Alpha gave to ask what I consider yeah. to be uh, difficult uh, and, and perhaps unpopular questions. Cool. What is one of the things that you benefited or learned the most from your Alpha experience? I think Alpha really impressed upon me the, the power of the support of the Christian community. Uh, I, I considered myself to be a Christian long before I came here and long before I was baptized, but I was doing it on my own. And I, I think from Alpha, I, I learned how, how nice it feels to feel supported uh, in the struggles in life by, by my brothers and sisters in the, in the Christian community. So that awesome. Was, yeah. So you started coming to church, you were interested, you signed up for Alpha, you went through Alpha, and then you got baptized. And then the year later, after being baptized, you became a leader, a group discussion leader at Alpha. Mm. So why did you say yes to all of that? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I said yes to baptism, I, I, I wanted to be baptized since I was uh, in my 20s. Uh, I found it quite intimidating. The churches I'd gone to when I was in my 20s, the, the baptism process seemed quite daunting. There, I just remember there was like a tank like up here and, and, and flowing robes. And I was like, ooh. When I found out that Al basically takes you out to the sandheads and throws you in the river and, and hopes for the best, I thought, yeah, that's my kind of baptism. So, so, so that, that, okay, that made a difference. That, that's why I said yes to, to, to being baptized. Uh, and as far as to Alpha, I, first of all, I was, I, I was um, flattered to be asked. I... I didn't think it had been very, I still felt quite young in my Christianity, and to be asked to do it so soon was quite flattering. And it helped me to also understand that anyone can disciple. Uh, you don't have to be a mature Christian to be a disciple, and probably the sooner you, you start doing it uh, after you become a Christian, the, the, the better. So that's the reason I did it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. always interesting. We wait until we become a mentor or a leader 
but it's actually in the process where we actually grow the most because we have to study and come prepared yeah. and learn and yeah. really wrestle with the, same, with the questions that That's people right. are asking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how would you encourage those here to take part in Alpha? Mm. Right, so I, I understand the, the, the invitation here is, is to encourage our congregation to, 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 to go outside their comfort zone and to invite others to, to join and, and to accompany them. And so what I would say is that, you know, for me, the, the, the experience was life-changing. And so if you know others that are, you know, that you think could benefit from that, I would encourage you to, to do that. And, and it, it can just come naturally. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, last night I was out with some high school friends I hadn't seen uh, for a long time. And uh, we were at, we had a nice dinner at someone's house and we were sort of moving on to the scotch. And then my, my lovely fiance Gemma was kind of giving me the stink eye, saying, "You know, Derek, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to talk tomorrow morning. We we should wrap it up." So I just <laughs> mentioned them casually. You know, I, I'm sorry, I, I, we got to get going. I got to say a few words in church tomorrow. And all of a sudden, there was an intro. Well, what's that all about? And then it was about Alpha and what's Alpha all about. So basically, I had an opportunity to share that with all of my friends. And, and I would suggest that it it can be that easy. And I encourage you to do it. Awesome. Yeah. Let's give Derek a hand. Yep. Thanks, Mark. All right, so let me quickly summarize. Three things of which um, I hope you can take from today is, yeah, if you're sitting here, please sign up and attend. But if you're a Christian, you've been baptized, I want you to think of someone that you could potentially pray for and invite to come to Alpha. And, you know, if, if no one comes up, then that's fine too. But I hope the, the, the posture of Alpha and what they've done in the past will continue to encourage us to actually think about uh, our calling as Christians. If you remember, Jesus, is going back to Luke 10 too, um, He sent out people, right? He sent them out to the villages and the neighborhoods to go preach the good news, and that same call to go to make disciples is still present for us today. So, I don't know what that means in your life. Maybe it means, um, you know, uh, making friends with someone and entering into conversation and talking about some of these issues over coffee. Maybe it is just um, continuing to pray over people. Um, I have people in my life who um, aren't Christians, and I find myself constantly praying that they would one day discover Jesus uh, for themselves. So whatever that is, I hope that posture of, of mission and hospitality that Alpha kind of projects is something that we live out in our church as well. Second thing is we need volunteers. We need leaders uh, that lead discussion in the groups. We need people to help set up. We need people to cook meals. And if you're involved in a small group, that's how we normally cook meals. So you should volunteer your small group to come and cook a meal for us, for Alpha. And we have a kind of a volunteer meeting in a couple of Tuesdays, August 27th at 7. And lastly, just to pray through this season. Like when you remember during this season of uh, fall and autumn, just pray that those people that do attend, and we don't know how many people are coming, but that they uh, would um, be growing and they would take a step in their faith journey. All right? Let me pray. Father God, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, so we ask you, the Lord of the harvest, to send workers into your harvest field. And God, it's not our harvest field, it's your harvest field that you are the one who brings, you're the one who sends the Spirit, you're the one who convicts, you're the one who uh, converts and leads people, and change happens. But we get the privilege 
of uh, being part of that process. So, Father God, we ask for your Spirit to give us wisdom and discernment and a prayerful heart about how we might be able to invite our friends to this, but also how many of us sitting here right now, um, yeah, in our faith journey, um, would benefit uh, with a safe place to ask the questions that we need to as we discern and come to understand Jesus as being the way, the truth, and the life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.